0: well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk she- Recorded live. Well, the special guest for the podcast, it was me, FCM. It was me all along, FCM. Of course, the special guest would be the person who's probably been on the most podcasts of anyone, meaning meaning that we're questioning the use of the term special here, certainly. But I'm happy to be here on another edition of the FCM podcast. Um, as you notice, this isn't coming from the normal um, FCM podcast homepage because Maddie set it up, although we'll try to move it over later. But on the line, of course, uh, one of the regular Members of the Pod Mafia uh, coming to us live from the state of Ohio, Maddie Noakes. Maddie, how you doing?
2: I'm doing fine. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing fine.
0: Good. And also, uh, also co-hosting the other Matt taking things over. Although I don't know, uh, I don't know if the Matt starts with the G or B. That would be GB. What's up? Doing good, G. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, so we have we have both a G takeover and a Matt takeover on this podcast simultaneously. So, what uh, big power struggle? A uh, lot of conflicts. We'll see how that shakes itself out on the air. Let's get to the G. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm being treated like the like the like the dancing monkey here for the podcast, even though I'm the one who is told to host it. Uh, So um, this is uh, yet another edition of the FCM draft, probably our biggest show every year. Um, This draft uh, was a very interesting draft in the sense of I think that there were a lot of conflicting opinions about it. And I've heard some things bandied around about this draft that I wildly disagree with in terms of its overall quality. So I think this might be an interesting place to start. Matty, what did you think of the draft overall? I thought it was maybe the deepest draft that we've seen in many, many,
2: many years. Um, I think that kind of showed with how reluctant people were to trade their, their picks out to the start. But then as you saw the uh, the draft go along, there was a lot of jockeying for Positioning and trying to trade up to get your guy, and I know after the draft I even remarked to Andy of how awesome it it was to see all these these people here and all this you know movement happening that you don't see that in normal mobile leagues. And um, you know maybe this was a really deep draft, but maybe I'm wrong. The only thing that you can do now is wait it out and see what exactly happens with
1: the uh, draftees. All right. Uh, GV, what did you think? Um, I thought basically the same thing. Um, it was really deep. Uh, there's a lot of guys that you can dream on pretty easily. Nothing really at the top of the draft excited me that much. Um, there wasn't, like, that guy that everyone really wanted. But, I mean, only one guy can pick him. So, I think that throughout, I mean, mid-first, through the fourth, maybe into the fifth. I mean, there's guys that you could really target and kind of have a hope for in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the depth of the draft uh, might be one storyline here. But I think what's underrated is that the top of this draft, I thought, was just really bad, especially on the pitching side. Uh, I did not see a lot of arms, unlike in previous years, that I would have drafted or thought were particularly good. Um, I even think, like... Some of the conversation going to a guy like Mac, uh McGowan, who would have fallen like probably a lot further if it were a typical pitching draft um, would have been were was just sort of bizarre i mean I think that, that the outfield was really strong uh, in this draft, but there wasn't a ton of defense uh definitely wasn't a ton of speed, and there wasn't a ton of pitching so I like this draft a lot less than I think a lot of other people did. I think there are some but in the later rounds, you can sort of get some pitchers that you can hope for, or some other position players who look like they might be starters. But at the top, if you were picking around, um, even if you were picking around seven or eight, I don't think you had a lot of good options.
3: Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah.
2: That pretty fair. Um, I know, it was like for the pitching, I thought there were a lot of Glenn Ashball types—the type of their not couldn't con, con control, you know—that just um, kind of really middling, and if it develops into the 80s like it did, then you have a really good pitcher. But a lot of those guys, sometimes it kind of stops around 75, and if it, it stops there, you have a reliever. So there are a lot – there, there were a lot of pitchers like that. JB, so
0: uh,
2: you
1: you were saying something? I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, I really didn't even pay attention to the top 10 or 15 names, but when I did look at them after they got drafted – uh. I mean, man, I, they're, they're, it's not an inspiring list. Like I, I like guys in the second and third round more than some of those dudes that got picked in the top ten. Like yeah, the, the builds weren't really – you just have to get really lucky on those guys.
0: Yeah, I think I think you have this weird situation where part of it was just a lack of depth on the pitch – lack of, excuse me, top-end talent on the pitching side. Uh, and another part of it was just people sort of misdrafting but you had guys falling into the latter part of the first round that you could have easily argued could have gone in the top ten and still would have been very good picks. And I don't mean like the latter part, I mean the 20s. I mean the latter part meaning like practically like the end, you know? And if you're getting the same value at – if you're getting the same caliber of player at at the the 30th pick than you are at the 10th pick, then that's probably a sign that there's just – not a lot of that, you know. Not a lot of that first-round talent that you would normally expect in a typical draft.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, and that's that's kind of what the guys picking at the end of the draft have been waiting for, because it seems like the last few years it's been really. I mean, you have to kind of reach, um, or just pick a guy and hope with a high peak later in the first round. And and this year, I mean, there it was just kind of a blend of of the same type of ability you have to kind of hope that they're going to get that jump early because they could look really good, but they could go down quickly as well. I think it was just like a big jumble of players that were similar that you're just going to get lucky or unlucky on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think, um, I, I, we've gotten some conversation about taco pants in the chat, but, uh, Getting rid of that, we'll move on to the best first-round picks that you saw. Uh, we already had some hints of this from the uh, new FCM Twitter. Uh, someone posted that they thought one of the best first-round picks was Brian Strouch to Seattle. Um, uh, San Diego was pimping their first-round pick. Uh, the outfielder, um, I think Andres Kosh or something like that. Um, so we'll start with, uh, GB this time. What do you think were some of the best first round picks?
1: Um, I really like strauch uh, or whatever his name is. Um, Miz traded one pick ahead of me to pick him, which makes me kind of sad, but I do <laughs> like him. I think he can be like a really good DH down the road, you know, crush righties. Um, the guy I'm looking at that I had on my list, um, at the top was Eduardo Eggwood. Um it looks like uh, D. Lee picked him, 16th overall. Um, I like his build. If he had a little more control, he'd be really, really looking good. Um, but he has, you know, everything you look for. He has a nice fastball. Um, he's young. He has, uh, you know, a solid, solid build. A little bit of a home run issue, but you never know how that can go. But uh, for this draft, I think he was one of the top pitchers available. And to get him at 16, I liked it. Okay, uh Matty, uh, who else who did you like in the first round?
3: Um, I did like
2: um, the pitcher that D Lee took, as I noted on my on my draft race, the last one I got to recently. But I also did like the guy that on Gus and was auto to the Rays, uh, race, Jerome old 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 Rickson. I mean, uh, he was actually the top first baseman on my board. He was a guy that I kinda thought with the sixth pick. If it goes like I think it should, I might be left with with him mm-hmm. at, the sixth, at the sixth pick, and I would be, be fine with that. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't have the highest ceiling, not like the guy that uh, Corey took, but he's a pretty safe bet to at least be a really good hitter that's, that you can bank on putting in your, your starting line.
0: Yeah, I, I think that he's got... He's definitely got some potential. Definitely better than most auto picks that you'd normally see in that range. So, um, and unlike um, and unlike uh, Tampa Bay's first pick, not busted for performance-enhancing drugs between now and the draft. So that's a good sign. Uh, I absolutely was stunned that Strouch fell as far as he did. Uh, to be honest, uh, I was the one who posted. The, the tweet that said, uh, Stratch's agent is angry he fell out of the top ten. Uh, and I think if I were his agent, I would be too. Stratch looks like he's got a ton of potential, at least in terms of being that really good lefty bat. Uh, his contact and power are far, far above his overall rating at this point so maybe you can even envision him playing at least a little bit against left a little bit against lefties or at the very least um maybe not being a guy that you absolutely have to platoon uh i think you know his defense is probably part of the reason he fell but if we look at most of the bats in that top end none of them really look like defensive studs anyway so i think at this point you're mostly drafting on offense and um i think you're getting like um i think you're getting a guy who probably should have gone Around eight to ten, falling all the way to thirty and and that was just stunning for me. The other guy I really liked and g b not wanting to toot his own horn, probably didn't pick this, but Jeff Pierce just looks like one of those one of those control movement guys who looks is pretty close to if he de- if he develops even to that eighty range looks pretty close to be a sure thing to be a productive starter uh and in a draft where the top end pitching was especially weak. Uh, he'll probably end up being one of the best arms in this draft, period. And even though he doesn't – even though it's not the kind of guy that you expect to be the top arm in the draft, he definitely looks like he's going to be one of the better ones. And to get him after some much weaker pitchers went ahead of him uh, is a good job there. So uh, props to Detroit. Oh, you're so sweet.
3: <laughs>
0: well, you drafted well. What was I supposed to do? Not praise you? Yes. Okay. Well, now we know for next
2: time. I was there with, uh, with Pierce. He was a guy that normally I kind of knock these these guys. They, they have like twenty. His with his con control is I think twenty-one better than his movement. But he doesn't show any any homer issues, so I think he's going to be very good. He a guy that I was hoping would fall to thirty-two.
0: Yeah, I mean he. If he had fallen, I would have been really surprised uh, had he fallen into the second round, but, you know, it looked like it was headed that way. Uh, so, speaking of that second round, we always look for these, like, middle-round picks, something in the second through fourth round. Who are some guys you liked in that range, Matty? I
2: have a lot of guys that I think, like I said, I think the depth was very, very deep. Um, let's see if I can just pick out a couple that I really thought were good. Um, it's really I'll just go real quick I know that I said to Stang but I thought he got a pretty good pick in Dave's body his numbers mm-hmm. make me think he'll be a double machine you know and yeah, I think he's not the standard first, first baseman but I think he can be very good plus he's really good in the field um, Brad Smith to the Dodgers at 44 his build isn't awesome but there's something about him tells me that with the way relievers Um, jump, that it's possible he could be even a uh, closer. And I think Andy often made a couple of good picks at 49 with Jim Johnson and D.D. Ford with Luke Heller. Um, Both show a very low homer total. And for Heller, I think he could be a – he could eventually be a candidate to turn into a starter. And then just lastly, I did want to say – I did want to give a little bit of props to our new Minnesota GM on with this pick at 80, of Stan Van Boxman. Not that I think he's going to be amazing, but it's nice to see a new GM really pick up on that defense is a key thing, and that he's got a chance to have 90s range there.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, it it's good to see a new GM like uh getting the draft uh, uh pretty well uh just to start out. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, GB, what were some picks you liked in that second through fourth round range?
1: Um, just, I mean, there's a lot to stand out, um, that you could think are going to turn out pretty well. Um, just a few that I had, uh, John Johnston that went to Andy. Um, I like every he's a pitcher. I like everything about him besides his pitching repertoire, which is okay. Um, I, don't, I think that'll make him like his what about his
0: name? You really approve of a parent naming a child John Johnston?
1: You know, he he achieved even without that. You know, with, without the benefit of a of a of a good name. Um, so I feel like that improves his character, and I'm <laughs> betting he's a pretty good clubhouse guy and a gentleman. So, um, uh,
0: so between the fact that he's named John Johnston and the fact that he went to Notre Dame, like uh, I know that we don't see like. The race of these players, but he has to be the whitest man alive, right? He
1: he's, he's probably the dude that you want dating your daughter. <laughs> I'm guessing,
3: even <laughs> though he that, went
1: to Notre Dame. Maybe that's why Andy drafted him. Who knows? There, there you go. See, he's thinking ahead. So, yeah. I, I like everything. His vitals are really, really good to me. Um, like I said, his pitching repertoire is maybe the one thing that help hold them back from not being really good. Um, some other dudes, I liked, uh, Alcona, uh, or, uh, unfortunately, Maddie took him. Um, I just really like his build. I think he'd be a really good reliever, uh, set up man at worst, possibly a really good closer. Um, and I liked, uh, Fetter for, for old Cadmus um, for the first baseman. Um, I think that, you know, he has an interesting build and, uh, if if he hits, you know, I mean he can really I think he's really gonna put up good numbers in coors. Uh and did Fetter it. go to were there multiple Fedders in
0: this draft? Because the Fedder I'm seeing went to Oakland.
1: I think did he yeah. did Feder go to Oakland? Well then good job Fred I guess. <laughs> Sorry Tad. <Kat. laughs> you don't seem you don't seem as excited to give Fred credit. <laughs> well see I like Tad and Fred I like him too but I like Ed more. I'm sorry, Fred.
3: <laughs> Turning
0: on the Fred. This <laughs> podcast is no friend of the Fred, apparently, at least not GB. Uh, I don't know. I I don't have a problem with Fred, except, like, the weird chat emoji he uses. <laughs> Work on like? that, Fred. Very mm-hmm. important. Um, I have about um, – I mean, some of the names got taken. Federer was a guy I was thinking about talking about, so um, – but I do have some names here. And what's weird is I'm going to start with an auto-pick. Um, I'm a little surprised uh, that Glenn Keast fell as far as he did to Philadelphia. I think that um, you know people just get turned off by that build. But there are some definitely some things to like about Keast in terms of uh, how he plays. I don't think his contact is terrible right now, and it's easily – And I'm very, especially with the high strikeouts, it's easy to see him getting into that 70 contact range and being, like, a reasonable hitter. On top of that, he draws a ton of walks. Um, His resume shows that his power is for real and tends to be stacked toward the home run, which is really good. Um, I think people just sort of saw, oh, he's kind of old and he can't field, but they didn't look to see what he could do. And I'm a little surprised that he fell, especially in a draft where – there wasn't where uh, with the with the lack of top end pitching, a guy like that should have been pushed up and I think at least should have gone in the bottom half of the first round. I'm surprised he didn't. Uh, but he their loss, I guess, is the auto pick man's gain. Uh, and he and to go to Philadelphia, I think, sort of lucking into a really good pick there. Um, I like Zach Fairchild who went to Washington. He was a guy I was Targeting. I know you can look at that resume and see some home run problems, but those can be overstated for guys that have as low of a rating as he does. He's really young. His build looks pretty solid. I think that slider will be a good pitch for him. I like his ground ball rate and other things like that. So I think he should be uh, pretty solid. I think another name that I think will be a really good pitcher that I was furious that I didn't get because it looked like he was falling to me for for a hundred. Um, and was Greg Wells. Uh, Wells is a strong fastball for a guy who only has a 59 overall rating, um, good control, very good power, and since his health isn't that great, you can actually see him, like, developing really well. I think he could he could be one of those guys that impresses if he gets into, like, that 85 range uh, a little bit better than where his peak is now uh, and be a really underrated starter that sort of does it all, like, has some good control and good movement, but actually has enough power to really to really be more much more productive than you think he's going to be. And I think, um, finally, I hate praising uh, GB again, but uh, the outfielder you grab, Dustin Shepard, man, does he look like he's going to be something interesting. Um, uh, draws a ton of walks, uh, plus good contact, uh, maybe not elite power, but he's definitely going to be the kind of guy that you can throw in the outfield And maybe won't be great, but at least will be productive enough to the point where you can put him in your lineup and not necessarily have to trade for a better option.
1: Without all of what you just said, the thing that amazes me most is you like Greg Wells and his 30% ground ball rate. I know. It's shocking, right? It blew my mind. It really did.
0: Occasionally, like, fly ball pitchers will be good. I mean, Lou Cook's a fly ball pitcher, and I'm not going to say he's bad. I mean, would he be better if he if he bowled the ball directly into the ground like every starter that I seem to ever play? Yeah, maybe. But, you know, sometimes guys are good despite having a bad ground ball, right? It's, just,
1: it's, it's refreshing to hear that from you, James. I'll say. <laughs>
0: I know. I feel like you just get fly ball pitchers just to prove the point that you don't need ground ball pitchers, even though you probably still like ground ball pitchers better secretly in your heart. I like them both. I don't treat one worse than the other thank you
1: mhm
0: that's a, that's shameful it's okay. shameful that you that you take this uh that you take this agnostic stance toward the ground ball uh Maddie, anything else you do, you do you want to take a stance on this ground ball issue
2: actually yes because I've always long thought that mobile doesn't calculate it right because I believe Donovan Pace and he ended with something like a thirty three percent so uh it just I, it, it's something where if you have a strikeout pitcher, it completely messes up the uh, the the math on it, and uh, it's something that yeah, I definitely do prefer. But I mean, honestly, if, if it's not there and I don't, but I don't think there's a home run issue, then I'm fine with out uh, with the pitcher because at the end of the day, it's about getting out, and I'm gonna have a good you know a, a, a good ranging center fielder just like I would a shortstop in the second baseman so I'm not all that worried about it
0: yeah I mean you end up with the same sorts of guys and sometimes like those flyball guys can be good value for you I find like knowing how they're going to produce in terms of home runs a little bit less predictable which is one of the reasons I don't tend to prefer them but you know they're a good uh and you're absolutely right that Mogul does outright calculate it wrong uh, like that's been shown, uh, but at the very least, you sort of, you, you, it also, I think their engine favors ground ball pitchers in the sense of like, it's very rare to get, for example, a starter that has 60% ground ball rates. Usually those guys are reserved for in real baseball are reserved for like those, like a uh, submarine relievers, like those lefty or righty specialists. Um, no pitcher with very few or should say very few pitchers with a conventional delivery would get anywhere near those kind of ground ball rates, and you can get a lot of those type of guys in Mogul, so it seems very very odd that it seems that it skews toward a ground ball pitchers a bit more than it would than, than like actual talent would be in distributed in regular baseball
2: right, and I think some of the things there is where Mogul really messes it up. Is that a fly ball in mobile doesn't really add to the the homers. It really it has no correlation to it at all. It's completely separate. So the thing is like, you know, a guy might have a 60% GB rate and uh, the other 40% that's either a strikeout or a fly ball. Heck, half of those might be homers just because of that. How mobile does it? Because like again, mobile says certain baseball stats aren't real, like, like that, as well as um, IP. so there's just, just weird things about mobile that make no sense to where a guy, like the IP thing, where a guy can have uh, uh, like a career 230 average like that on, on, uh, under that stat, but he's actually a good player, whereas realistically he's gonna be terrible because he strikes out way too often. Strikeouts don't necessarily mean that you're not gonna have, have a batting average, just like a, a fly ball rate right? doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna you're gonna have you you're gonna allow homers. It's just yep. it's the weird
0: thing about Mogul. Yeah, Mogul continues to be a vexing game. Uh a lot of cosmetic changes or a lot of like changes that don't seem necessary when for example, like uh, the pitching system in this game is about twenty years behind like any research done on pitching at this point, and needs to be completely overhauled if this game is going to be realistic and The fact that that hasn 't been done yet either means that clay doesn 't think it 's unrealistic, which is a problem, or even more so that he does think it 's unrealistic but doesn 't want to fix it, which might be even even weirder.
2: Right, because it's something as simple as whereas if you just take away the pitcher's ability to control a hit and take away the hitter's ability to control their hits, and you just say balls in play are gonna usually have a 300 average, that's all you really need to do, and you're you're golden. And then based on if a team has a good defense or a bad defense, that'll mean a couple more hits here and there falling. That's, I think it's that simple, but it might not be simple in the coding, but at least as far as I'm making sense, it's remove one predictive step for each player, for, for each type of player,
0: and it should be very real. Yeah. Uh, so we'll move on to the uh, late, late, super late round steals. Uh, so, GB, was there anyone that went super late in this draft that you think uh, might be a steal here?
1: Um yeah, let me I'm trying to find his name. I kinda of dozed off there for a second. Um you know here's we appreciate a guy.
0: Every, your honesty continues to be refreshing.
1: Yeah. Like a spring breeze. A guy that like when the the draft list came out um at the beginning of the year and then he just dropped like a rock, like like crazy. I think he dropped I don't know what it was, uh double jizz, I think. But Ernest Kidd, um, who went 147 to D Lee. I keep praising D Lee. And, uh, I just, I loved him when he was, had a higher peak. I I was thinking of him as like a, you know, possible late first round pick for me. Um, you know, sometimes mobile, when they drop a guy really, really badly, um, he'll, he'll get a huge jump down the road. Um, I like his, his home run rate. I like his fastball, you know, um, and his build in general looks really good. So, uh, if you can get that big jump here soon, I mean that guy could be a huge deal for Dilee. Uh that's the guy that kind of that kind of jumped out to me, um, for the really late pick, so I'll let you guys talk about your dudes.
0: Uh I have one that jumped to mind that I'll talk about now before Ethan. And Matty will probably have more than either of us. Uh one guy that I thought was just sort of interesting due to his age and due to the fact that there was a profound lack of speed in this draft was Joel Pfeiffer. Uh, I think not only could he be a productive player if, I mean, the worry is that his birthday is going to drop again and he's going to fall into that dreaded peak below 70 range. I'm not so certain that's going to happen. And even if it does, I wouldn't rule out him developing well. He's only 17 years old. That 94 speed looks pretty legit in the sense that he's going to definitely steal a ton of bases. And he's going to be aggressive, and I think he's still a pretty solid base runner, so he won't get thrown out a ton. Um, I think because he didn't have, like, great contact, people didn't prioritize him as much as they would other speed guys. We saw that sort of in last year's draft with the shortstops. But 59 contact with a 61 overall isn't terrible. Um, I think if he develops well, he could be something pretty interesting Like, I don't know if he ever becomes a starting caliber player, but he could become, like, a really, really good fourth outfielder or a really, really good, like, platoon guy who you can play against lefties and get you some steals every year. Uh, His defense is kind of solid. I really think that he's a guy who probably fell an entire round too far.
3: For me, on him, the thing that scared me
1: off – I don't have a pick then, but thing kind of made me go away from him is, I mean he's gonna have a birthday next to him. so like yeah. he's already at fourteen, and you know if you get that lucky jump after the birthday, it's nice. But there are so many dudes that were just intriguing even late in the draft that I would I kind of took him off my list. You weren't optimally intrigued, is what you're saying? I wasn't aroused How about that. <laughs> okay. oh,
0: and so Matty, was was there anyone you were aroused by in the later rounds?
2: Okay. Like you said, I do have a lot more players than you guys did. Um, on Pfeiffer, I think he was on my list. I'm not sure. You guys will be able to double check that and call me out on because I'll eventually post my scouting scores. But looking back over, yeah, that speed is something that if I didn't have him on, maybe I should have. You're right with the um, with the birthday. It is kind of a, a you know, it could be bad or it could be not because I know a few years back I took Ray Weiserick. In the sixth round, is like a 70 peak, and you can see him now. He's up to like an 80 something peak because every year he's only dropped like like two or three points. Like I'm not even sure like one or two points, but then he's progressed like four or five points each year. So every year he's adding to his peak, which is awesome. That Piper could could do that. If you go and drop so like a 74 or 73, then you are probably the guy who might have a long time to develop. And with that power being so low, that contact should just shine and really shoot up there. Um, It might be tough for him to be a starter, but it's not crazy to think that that he could be a starter. And to get that in the the early fifth is really good. But to the names that I had, um, and we will see someone's face just light up if we actually had a, a video conference here. Um, actually, he was a fourth-round pick, not a third-round pick. Dustin Shepard, uh, Clint Spell, those are two guys who I actually had on my list. But because, like I told GB before, the, uh, the pod, I had so many, um, guys that I didn't have the room for them, so I just kind of passed up on them. But both of those guys could be a, a starter. Um, then he also drafted Chris Presti at pick 135. He has a really nice build. One of those builds that you think if he gets in an 80s, he's going to be really damn nice. Um, Joe Harris, 96 Pittsburgh. If he has a third pitch, he could be a starter. Um, Nick Buchanan at 101 to Colorado. He has a very low homework total, and that's exactly what the Rockies need to do. Uh, Stevie Johnson at 129 to the Nationals and Peter. He's a guy that I really wanted, and I think i had to pick 132 guy I really really wanted If nothing else because he can play all particularfield spots and with mobile being so messed up um, Johnson having even one game at short stuff means for some reason he's going to be so much better there than a second baseman with blowing vital it's, it's just it's just the way mobile is so I think he's the guy that you just put on the bench and you're happy with because you no you don't have to worry about. Mobile playing a guy at a position that he doesn't actually have any predictions at. And uh, let's see. Uh, Philip Trinkle at 178.2 to Pittsburgh. This is a pick that I'm, I'm just thinking, yeah, this is exactly what you do late in in the draft. You're not sure what this guy can do. But on, on the same lines with, with Piper, if he doesn't drop very much, with him being so young, you have no idea what he could do. So just take a guy that's extremely young and looks like he has a decent amount of upside and maybe you get lucky. Maybe you get a guy that eventually becomes an ADP and now you
3: have a usable player.
0: Yeah. uh, A lot of, it seems like, uh, seems like again, that seems to go with the idea of a deeper draft. We have a lot of like, you know, late fourth and fifth and sixth round steals that can turn into potentially starting caliber players down the road. Uh, if if only the same thing can be said about the first rounders, <laughs> the starting caliber players. Um, I guess we'll move on to thoughts on your own draft. Uh, we're actually flying through this podcast so far. Uh, we have been way too efficient in my opinion, but I'm sure that will derail at some point knowing these podcasts. Uh, I'll start with my own draft because I didn't think it was all that interesting. We only picked two people. Uh, I, thought the draft was fairly weak, even when I was scouting it, so that gave me the incentive to trade out. Uh, I was having discussions with a certain member of the podcast about um, uh, about uh, his starting pitcher, Speedy Costello. Uh, I eventually just sort of decided that I think I needed to make that move to solidify my playoff chances in a in, in national league that just looks like a disaster in terms of at the top that – that it might come down, that we might have to have live sims starting at, like, sim 10 uh, if if the race continues to be this close. So I traded out. The guys seemed okay, but didn't seem that great. Uh, what about you? Uh, uh, what about you, Matt? Which one?
1: There's two uh, you, the one that spoke. Okay. Um. I... I... Thought my draft was solid. Um, I had Rocky helping me this year. Um, because he seems to be really good at drafting hitters. So, uh, um, I kind of took a lot of his advice um, on some things. But I liked with all these guys. I seemed a lot of them seemed really similar to where I wanted the most information I got or could have. So I got I drafted a lot of dudes that just recently had birthdays that didn't drop a whole lot. Maybe two or three. To where I can kind of hope that they can get that big jump soon. Um, I'm not going to say I was in love with any of these guys, but um, that sounds terrible. But um, I think that with with a nice jump early on, I could have a pretty pretty solid draft.
3: And that's it. Yeah, um, I did think that that GB's draft was pretty good. Something noticed
2: um, that was different than past years. Seem like he did wait on some of the better players instead of just taking them so early and going, ah, look at this, I got Dustin Shepard in the second round. Because That's something that he has seen to do in, in the past. He kind of waited it out and got the players right when he needed to. For my draft, I know I get to talk about me, so all those guys that keep pitching that that all we do is talk about ourselves, well, so we're doing the pot and we all we're always open to questions. So I want you to talk about your team. This question, but so I gotta go me me me. But however, just having a ton of picks, I definitely want to make sure that I got some mm-hmm. some pitching, but also a, a balanced draft. So I took some arms that are that are closer to being mm-hmm. ready, and some that will possibly take more than, than five years. And I think I just I also got a really nice blend of positional talent. I got some some mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. second baseman, uh, third baseman. Couple outfielders, so I just I think I got a really nice blend of talent. And not where I look at this, I usually bash these kind of um, situations where someone just loads up on picks because it's kind of tough with the one draft. But I really try to balance it out, taking older guys and younger guys, so that all of my draft picks in this draft are not going to be ready at the
3: same time, and then there's a nice
2: flow of of talent
3: coming up. I'm
1: done. Gee <laughs> <laughs> passed out. I
3: think so. Gee. He's maybe okay, switching his shirt. Yeah, so he disconnected.
2: So okay. um, we will just move on from all of that. That really awkward pause looked like I really want to talk about my team more, or he or he was expecting me to talk about my team more. maybe he fell asleep as he figured that. But nonetheless, we'll move on to what team do you think had the best team draft? Um, D. Me. So you're the only one else on there. So what do you think about some of the uh, the overall team drafts out
1: there? Um, I like two drafts, and I'll go through them real quickly. Um, I liked D. Lee for the Giants. Um, like I said earlier, I like his first pick, Eaglewood. Uh, I think he has a high ceiling. Um, Wheeler Diamond, his his third round pick, um, has a chance to do be a pretty solid hitter down the road. Um, first baseman Rafael Estrada, you know, he's close to his peak, but um he really has a nice build if he gets lucky on a jump. And Ernest Kidd, the pitcher I talked about earlier, he uh I like him as well. So I liked uh D. Lee's draft. I liked unfortunately I liked yours as well. He had about a million picks. Um and you picked a lot of dudes that I really liked. I liked the catcher early, um at that point. You just I, I liked that pick. Uh Bueller, the first baseman, solid, good low, I had him on my list, I had Ewan on my list, I had Wilson on my list, I had Cohen on my list, Vet Beta, I had him. So you picked about like seventeen dudes that I liked, so obviously I liked yours as well. A lot of a lot of players and a lot of good um potential as well. So those two stand out to me.
2: Well, I had about 17 picks, so I think I picked up, And that, that would mean that I picked everyone that you like. But I think it's one of those things where you, you have a lot of picks. So naturally, you're going to take players that someone likes, Ren, that, that really likes. It's almost impossible not to take players that someone likes that many picks. Um, I believe we have G Money back on the line. So what, what team drafts did you really, really like?
0: Uh, I think my favorite draft the the Mariners. Uh, we already talked about the Brian Strouch pick, but I don't think it was the only pick he made that was successful. Right. Before that, he picked Ron Woodbury. Woodbury looks like a guy who, despite his foreground ball rate, can also become a fairly successful starter. Control. Uh, Heroes, who he got, I believe, in round three, was one of the few elite defenders available in this draft. He's a hitter. I also think he'll have decent parts, so he should be a guy who's quite good. I know he had quite a few picks,
3: but
0: um, that draft looks like it's gonna be a one that's gonna pay dividends for a team that has have... sounds like
2: you're cutting out again.
1: Oh probably am. Uh crap. Hold on. From people's kids, man.
3: I know. Well, oh. I guess he's been trying to figure that out, so I'll
2: jump into mine. Two that haven't even, haven't even been talked about yet, um, but one I did, uh, I guess, both that kind of have talked about. Um, I will say I did kind of like a little bit of um, Jemaine's draft, a couple of plays I really liked. Uh, his third baseman, Gallardo, I thought he was a really good pick in in the of where he was taking another really good fielder. for that. If his offense just comes around, wow. he could be a very nice player. Um Denny Hasler, he's that guy. Of, I'm not sure if he's going to be really great, but his his high school numbers look really good, and he's only 19, going to be 20 soon. But just because you have a June birthday doesn't mean that you can't have a jump in May of your your peak year and be really good. So there's definitely. So I think he made the most of his few picks. Um, but another, but the uh, the other two drafts that I highlighted, and one is. It's no surprise, but Andy had a very good draft. I really liked a lot of players that he had there. Were, I mean, I did have like 140 some players on my board, so naturally I liked a lot of players that he took. But one that I did not yet talk about was Luke Heller. I don't think I did, think I did. Yeah, I did, but anyways, he has a lot of players and a lot of pitchers that can be very good. I think his pick of Scott Din was excellent. Um, I felt there were only two real catching prospects in this draft. I wasn't sure where Dims would would really go, but I think maybe because I took a catcher, you know, the other catcher, really early, it maybe improved Dims' stock as if if you want to get that second good catcher in the draft, you need to do it as soon as possible. So I think overall, yeah, yeah, an amazing job. It's again, not real much of a surprise. And lastly, our new GM that I already talked about, uh, Minnesota, We. Is it We? way oh, However, he's our German. And that's what really matters. Um, also, yeah, um, first thing is props because I think it was 1 a.m. his time when the draft even started and he took a lot of players that I liked that were just on my board that I liked really well and even some of the players that I kind of thought were so-so, I can at least see where he's going with it and if Really cool to see a new GM come in. Pretty much like he's played us, that he's saying that he's new to mobile. He's really not, and he under he, his pit seems at least he understands what we need to uh, to look for in a in a prospect. So while we're waiting for g money, what did you at least, what did you think of
1: Minnesota's draft? Um, I'm looking right now. Um... Let's see. I mean, I like... I don't know if he picked Mark McOwen or not, but I like him as a, you know, as kind of a safe pitcher. Could be like a middle-of-the-rotation guy for me. Um, Let's see. I mean, they're kind of fringe dudes for me, everyone that I'm looking at. They seem okay. Uh... They're not terrible. I guess I'm just kind of indifferent. I like I kinda like the Phoebe's guy, Vernon Phoebe's um, at that in that round and in the fifth round, but I mean it seem he seemed to do a solid job.
2: Yeah, I mean it just seems like like some some, some new GMs, they come in and it's like they take a sixties range short stop and it's like, Well what what are you doing? That guy sucks. You know what I mean? You get him in the sixth round or fifth, I'm Sure, maybe he can be a DH. But I think he—he I mean, he didn't take—he didn't take players that I go, where are you going to play this guy? Why did you do this? He's got some pretty good value. I mean, yeah, I think there are a few players like Menendez who I'm not exactly wild about, but I can see where he could get some nice jumps. He could be a pretty solid power arm, at least a middleman. And mm-hmm. to get that in the third round, that's not terrible value.
3: Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, it was just really cool to see a new DM come in mm-hmm. and do something pretty solid. But yep. well, we're still um,
2: we're still kind of waiting on G Money, mm-hmm. so we'll go on. To something that actually is kind of like sort of your and my little idea. Is I know that I don't know if you know, but you were the first person I at least brought, brought this up to. Uh, I thought would we even be in, interested in this. And that is the FDM Trade Room or Twitter. Um, and I, just kind of, I think I probably mentioned this to you a month ago, maybe even longer back. And uh, it was just something of where I just kind of thought, maybe this would be something that the lead would be interested in. You know, if I give a few people access to it, you know, we kind of post things here and there, um, maybe it'll be something. But then again, it could be something that no one's interested in. Personally, I was really surprised to see the amount of interest and, and action that it's gotten. And uh, it could be something that maybe after the new car smell wears off, it dies, it dies down a bit. But for right now, it's, it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see people want it, that people are bitching that we're not talking about a trade that did that, that happen. And I think some of those people, they might not realize that the that this is sort of my idea, sort of based on the MLB. Trade, trade rumor site, and everything that they talk about isn't always about trades. It's about free agents. It's about the draft. It's about releases, signings, mm-hmm. anything. You know, it's anything that really deals with baseball. That's what this is meant to be. And um, it's, it's just really cool to see that this is taken off. Because for me, I don't have Twitter. I never have done Twitter before. It's the first time I have anything with it, and. It's just nice that you can go on there and post a little blurb about something here and there. So, what are your thoughts
1: about it? I mean, I like it just because it's simple. Um, it's it's a new dynamic that uh, to the league, and it kind of makes it more and more like, you know, Major League Baseball, more and more realistic. Um, to where it's just a simple idea, and it's easy to use. People can see it right there on the website. So, I just I think anything that's easy doesn't it doesn't really confuse anyone, which is easy to do, and and it just brings a little more element of realism to um FCM. I think it's a great idea.
2: Yeah, and I, I, do, I do want to mention about one of the things that I think some people kind of wonder maybe maybe why not everyone has access to it. And that's something that Amy and I kinda of talk about a little bit kinda of quickly, but in the end, when I first sent it out, I only gave it out to, like, about eight people. I was trying to get people who I thought, one, would be interested in doing it, and two, would use it for the purposes of what I mean, mean for it to be, and not just do stupid stuff all the time. And I know we kind of have kind of done some, you know, comical things, and I'm fine with that. I have a sense even humor. I really do. But at the same time, it's like, this is kind of meant for the league, so just us kind of keep this towards, towards the, uh, the league stuff. But the big thing was if I give it, if I get access to everyone, then it's just going to be a pitching match to get your tweet, you know, out first or out on 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 top, and it's just going to get out of hand. So, and I have added a few people since I first sent it out because I did have the intro. I think I have about twelve people who have access to it. So, but if you're really dying to get on it, I'm fine to consider it, but. Probably at this point, it's going to mean you're going to have to ask someone that has access to no longer have access because anymore, and like I said, it's going to get to a
3: pissing match.
1: No, I agree. I mean, it's, as long as it doesn't get flooded, um, you know, and I think you're right, it will die down a little bit. There won't be as much activity, but uh, as, long as, as long as there's, you know, a few tweets every, every few days or whatever, um, I, I like it. It, it makes it a league more interesting.
3: Yeah,
2: and um, I, I think it's, it's also cool because I do believe that our our blog feed, it doesn't update automatically whereas the uh, Twitter feed will so that it, you really see the live stuff. You don't have to keep refreshing your page. Um, that's a pretty cool about it too. Um, and I think another really cool thing about it is I thought about making everyone kind of say who, uh, who they are, at least give their first initial to say who's actually tweeting what. But in the end, I think the mystery of who's actually saying mm-hmm. this is kind of cool too because I've tweeted about stuff that has that has nothing to do with my team. I've seen people tweet about my team. and I wasn't I the one who actually put it up there. Um, it's just pretty cool to see that if you have an idea, you know, because um, – I think like something I talked about with everyone in the uh, who 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 had access, and the, the rest of it doesn't know. But um, a couple off seasons ago, when uh, Jason traded Corey Davis to the Angels, in which Andy was taking part of, of, of those talks for them. Um, initially, Andy and I were talking about Keith Olschel to the uh, to the Angels. But then he wanted to wait out and see who else was available. And then that's when Jason messaged me saying, Hey, what are your thoughts on these guys from the Angels for, for Corey Davis? Naturally, my first re- uh, reaction was, Shit. That means that Amy doesn't want my guy and he
3: wants Jason's
2: guy. However, I'm not really going to screw over Jason and try and give him bad um, ed, advice and, you know, get to where that Andy takes my deal instead. But that would have been a pretty cool thing to kind of tweet about because I was right in in the middle of it. And I knew who Andy was, was targeting. I knew some of the names that were being talked about. That would have been something really cool that I could have uh, put it out of something like, uh, you know, Angels are... Are targeting a center fielder. Rumor uh, reports suggest that Corey Davis of the Cubs and Keith Ocean of the Indians are their their key targets.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there's situations that if you're involved in and no one else really knows, it's cool to be to tweet out something that's kind of obscure that lends kind of questions to what's going on um, with certain teams. So definitely, right.
2: And um, so I was really hoping that G might be back by now, but he's not. Really, kind of trying to try to draw that talk out. So I guess just um, he's not here, so we got to keep moving on. Um, we we'll move on to the Hall of Fame talk. There's only one guy that was actually voted in, and I do believe that they have to have the 75% in votes. That means he just barely got in. There are a couple guys that were relatively close. Um, I think there was 75% of the vote. So I would imagine, I mean, 20 people voted. So about uh, anywhere from two to four more guys voted for a few of them. They would have been in. But so the question to you is, did we get it right with only voting in Mike Madden?
1: I mean, I'm fine with that. Um, you know, it's not the Hall of Very Good. It's the Hall of Fame. And uh, you need to have it to an elite standard to get in. Um there are some dudes that I voted for that didn't get in, but i'm I'm not crushed that they they didn't um anyway, so it it doesn't affect me. I don't think there was any like amazing guy that was a shoe in that should have got in and they got robbed so i mean i'm I'm fine with what happened right, so who are the guys that you voted for that did not get in? oh god um I voted i believe for. Was Scott Russell one of the uh, dudes?
2: Yes, he had a 55% of the vote. Yeah, so I voted for... By
1: four votes. Yep, I voted for Scott Russell. Um, huh. And I think I voted for Hank Aldrich. Those are the two that I voted for that did not get in. Um, I did not vote for Steve August, which looks like 70%. A lot of people did. He just missed it. But um, yeah, it was just, uh, just those two guys, and, and I'm not it doesn't offend me that they're
3: not in any place. Yeah, I think that's kind of where, where I'm at.
2: There are a lot of, you know, sort of 50-50 cases for, for those guys, but I do think Andy probably had it right, that if you're voting Mike Madden and possibly Scott Russell, and George Marks off. I know Mark only had the ERA, but the wins are there. I don't know if he has a pitcher. I think he had, like, 253 wins, something like that. not sure if we have a pitcher that has two fifty wins that's not in the Hall. And the fact that we do have some pitchers who have a career ERA that is worse than his, that are in, kind of suggests that he should probably be in. And the Scott Russell is kind of like the same argument as Mike Madden. Mm-hmm. didn't really have the big career numbers, but he did have the dominant ERA and the science to go along with it. Um, the two guys, and uh, I also did vote for Aldred. I think maybe it's tough because he didn't have the the homers, but he does have the hit to to uh, go along with the great defense. And I think still, still some people are kind uh, of aren't really recognizing that a catcher only plays about seventy five to eighty percent of the time, so they can't really be judged the same as as a uh, you know, as a full time player. And I don't believe we have any closure that has 500 saves that's not in the Hall of Fame, so I think it is kind of tough to leave this break out. I know he's right there borderline. and He's barely got 500, but he's still a guy that got there and had years where he was dominant enough, and mm-hmm. he wasn't drug out like a Randy Leslie just to get there. He was drug out a little bit, but he wasn't mm-hmm. a skeleton or a shadow of, of what he once was in his final years. So I think this this overall uh, voting class isn't our strongest, but I think if you look at what's in the Hall of Fame, there are probably all all those guys, maybe even Bastos, maybe even August. I didn't vote for August either, but maybe August, Russell, and all those other guys that are going to return next year, they might still be better than some of the worst guys that are in the Hall. I think it's worth revisiting
1: them and really thinking about where the Hall of Famers are and where they would fit in. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the Hall of Famers that are in, I mean, I'd like to boot out like probably a half a dozen of those dudes. I don't know how they got in in the first place, I guess, before we started voting. Um, but, uh, yeah, some of these guys, if you look at them compared to some other guys that are actually in, they're better players and it's easy to see it. Um, I just think there should be a... Higher standards at this point, like um, take it into the Hall of Fame right now.
3: And still, no G Money, and it looks like he's probably not going to dial back in. So, I guess we'll finish
2: this to be a relatively even shorter pause than what I had thought it would be. But we're still at least really going to hit the one hour mark here after all of these questions that we have from a mysterious sender. And um, the first question, and I know that you said it's probably going to be all on me, but it's basically it basically boils down to: Would it be realistic for a relocation to to take place with certain teams in this this league? So I'll, I'll at least ask you. I know you want me to pretty much take this and run with it, but at least what's your opinion of someone moving Anyways, It could be. You know, if I want to take my Indians from Cleveland proper to Lakewood, or how we actually took the Rays from Tampa to St. Petersburg, or it could be going. Uh, and the example that I actually wrote about would be if we let Warpriest move the Texas Rangers to Mexico City, and they became the Mexico City Rangers. Anything in between? This. What do you think about moving teams in this
1: league? Um, I like it much. But- um, realism as possible, I, so I like it to mirror um, Major League Baseball in general. So to me, it's kind of I'd rather not have a team that's, that's currently um, in whatever city. I, I'd rather not move. Just to, for me, it makes it more real. Um, now, like Tampa Bay moving to St. Petersburg, I really couldn't care less. I, I don't. There's just no tradition there. Nothing. I, they can move freaking to wherever they want, I wouldn't care. But, like, some of those teams that have been there forever, um, it, to me, I wouldn't, it would just, I wouldn't, like, complain about it, but it'd be, it'd just take a little less of uh, of the fun out for me.
3: Yeah, I think that's really where I am at. And
2: for as much as, as the talks that Andy and I have, have both had, I think we're on the same page, is we're not going to see a team just completely move. We're not going to move across country. Because a lot of it is the brand recognition, and it's a thing of like with the example that I said of War priest moving the Rangers to Mexico City. If he suddenly leaves, now we have some new guy thinking, who the hell are the Mexico City Rangers? You know if it takes away from people identifying with that major league team.
3: Um, you know, if you want to
2: move to a suburb because it gives you a bit of a better, budget like we have and like it's actually being talked about with the A's that's fine and I know Andy's already done it so he's going to be fine with it and I probably would consider a team moving to to Montreal because they were a real team and if someone new comes in and sees that in AL East it's the Yankees the Orioles the Red Sox the Blue Jays and the Echoes oh shit you know that it's the Rays that aren't there any longer and the Montreal Expo is already the real team. However, I know, however, as far as I know, Andy has said that Montreal has even worse finances than even our worst current city. So moving to Montreal, unless something crazy changes, it just does not make sense. But we're pretty much stuck with, you are where you're at. Uh, if you come across in mobile that a suburb of yours actually has a better financial settings than uh than your your current city you're not moving across the state across
3: the country We'll probably think about it All
1: no, right, so, i agree yeah anything else dad no i mean it's it's not something i really think about but yeah I, I like the brand recognition point um and to keep the league stable and people coming in and out you know you, you don't want to be the freaking Oklahoma City Rangers or the Mexico City Rangers. You're kind of like, what the hell? So, no, I agree. Yeah,
2: yeah I mean, I, I know for me, I would put it down as uh, Andy never likes to be the, uh, the strong-armed. If you do this, I I leave. But would, honestly, I feel strong enough to say that I would leave because I feel that would be the downfall of the league to take away from that because I've seen leagues that do that, and they always seem to have trouble getting people to want to take those, those teams over because we don't care about that weird new team. But moving on, another pretty... I mean, I think all three of these are pretty good questions. But the, the next one, it basically boils down to... We had a Tam era where good catchers were, were a really tough find, but for the last, you know, 15 to 20 years... Kind of up years where um, where we were, we had some really good catches, some really good, strong defenses and offensive catches. I remember on some of my last drafts where I left Seattle, when I drafted one, like was like Wilson Brown and Hank Aldridge. There was like two or three drafts that back-to-back-to-back to back to back that just had amazing catching talent, and it was awesome to see. Because I remember actually I was disappointed that I got Hank Aldridge because I really wanted Wilson Brown guess either this way, I was probably right in getting either of the guys. But um, so the question really is, are we shifting back to the the previous previous era where we really don't have those great catches behind the plate anymore?
1: I think so. I mean, the last four, five, six, whatever draft. I mean, I look at positions, and uh, when I look at catchers, I mean, there's some drafts, there's not one draftable catcher for me. And, um, the others, I mean, there's maybe one or two. So, and, and usually those guys are kind of long shots anyways. Um, so I, I haven't seen any amazing looking catching prospects lately. Um, in the drafts, I haven't seen any, I mean, there could be some jumps that get guys certain points, but, um, I think here soon' with all these when all these older catchers um retire it's it's gonna be kind of just hopefully you get a guy that plays good defense and isn't a complete black hole at the plate. It's gonna get to that yeah i i
2: think i i definitely picked up on that I know pretty much the of stuff you said any catcher that you think could actually stick there and besides this draft the last two drafts um they were a the guy that was like a six round pick that you almost guarantee his, his offense is not going to come around. so like you can be a backup worthy. And uh, it would take some miracle for him to be good. And it was funny, but it was just, well, with this draft, we actually had a couple of catchers that were decent, but we only had six total catchers. We usually have, at least for what mobile looked as a catcher, at least about 10 to a 15. So technically, we only had six. was really rare and odd. I'm um, not really quite sure if we're truly shifting back to that. I think we are lessening the availability to have a dominant catching, you know, arm and all, all of that. It's kind of going down a bit because where we were at one point, where if you didn't have a 90 arm at catcher, you weren't throwing out and an FCM average around you was know, it kind of hovers around 28 to 30% cost stealing rate. So we're kind of lessening where you need to be average at, but um it is it does it does really kinda of seem that there's a lot of these graphs where you either have to choose offense or, or defense. But and I know for me it was one of the big things why I accepted Tony Byler for Marcus Aguilar because there's not a, a whole lot of good catchers and I thought maybe I'm selling a little bit low on Aguilar, but I wanna get a catcher that looks like he might at least be decent offensively and good uh, yeah, decent offensive and good defense, and I need to take him. So I think we are definitely seeing a little bit of a shift. It's hard to tell how much, but another one of those like 20, I think 45 drafts, or 46 drafts, where the catcher pool is really deep, it could change that in an, in an instant.
3: So maybe, maybe not. It's pretty much, I guess, we I'm getting with that. All right. Yeah. Then uh, moving on to the last question, which was really
2: all over the place, and I can pretty much just break it down to this: Is when is it when is it logical to take the raw talented high school pitching prospect over the more seasoned college pitching prospect? And the example of Manuel Verdado versus the recently drafted Mark Mac Mac was was used. So. When do you think it's more appropriate to take that raw talent versus the known talent that might not be as good?
1: Uh, I don't really look at it that way. Um, I just look at the most information you have, who who gives you the most information before you draft him and what their build is in relation to their their, um, overall and peak. Um, I don't think it really matters um, what that is because there's – there's guys that like Mac Owen that you can you get a, you kind of know what you think you're going to get there, um, and there's guys that that are that are really young but they have nice builds and you have to wait a while but they're gonna they're gonna be similar. So to me, I don't I can't answer that question because I don't I don't look at players in that way.
3: Yeah, I guess I, I kind of
2: see where you're coming from because I know I took. I think I took a 22-year-old college prospect, but he's only 56 overall. So I really don't see him as a college prospect because the hope is that he might develop until he's 27 or 28. So if he's developing two or three years past the normal peak year, it's sort of like he is an 18- or or 19-year-old prospect to me. I really don't care about that all that much. But I do see where the question is coming that um, and. Being in Mobile 14 for as long as we have, I've really started to notice that um, there, it, that this version does seem to reward college players a little bit more than than when we were on Mobile uh, 2011. So, and I even have noticed that Andy, who usually disdains college players he has taken them a little bit more frequently than he usually does. So I know he's so it seems to me he's even seeing something that I see. And really really overall what I well, what I wrote up for this question was it's a fine line between confidently knowing what you're getting and having the ceiling to be and and uh, the deep, yeah, the deeper that we get into multiple teams, the more I think there's a better representation of oh, it sometimes being better to take the safe, that tallest talent than to risk it on a high school talent that may not develop at all like you think he will because you know, there are times where you think a guy has a great build and then mobile does not develop him at all like you think he will. I've had many cases like that where I am so jacked up about his draft day build and I think I got a steal and then all of a sudden his control just does not develop at all and the movement quickly develops past it, and I'm left with this 75 control, 85 movement pitcher, and now he's a reliever, and I thought he was going to be a key cog to my, to my um, pitching
3: staff. But yeah. I do yeah. we have Gene Money back on the line, so... Oh, God. Uh,
0: yeah, my team of, uh, uh, my never-ending team of interns finally got the phone working, Yes, they're definitely all fired out of a cannon uh, into the middle of the road. So I guess, um,
2: I don't know if you, if you heard this question about the college talent versus the high school talent, but we'll start there and we, and we can backtrack if you want to talk about any of the other things. Oh uh, so, Yeah,
0: okay. well, with the with the college talent thing, I at least... I mean, I think it depends probably more on your timeline than anything else. I think if you're relatively close to coming out of a rebuild and you want to take like a college guy that's going to be going to be there, I'm not going to begrudge you for it. I would tend, to, in the abstract though, I would tend to lead toward high school talent. I think that the problem with some college talent, especially ones that have uh, relatively developed overall ratings, because it becomes much more difficult to tell what they're good at. Uh, if that makes any sense. So with the way that the mobile generates amateur stats, um, you the amateur stats can be misleading in situations where someone's far below or far above their uh, their lo- what they would expect to be at that level. So if you have like a 70 overall playing in high school, of course they're going to be productive because – that guy is like heads and shoulders more developed than most of the players at that level who would be around, I think, like a 55. It's like the mogul baseline. Similarly, if they're far below, like in college, like let's say they're a 50 overall, but they played three years of college, yeah, their stats might look kind of bad. So I think um, oftentimes uh, things can be fairly misleading in terms of the high school stats. One guy I can think of, although he's had a fairly good career, is Greg Jasinski because on draft day, although he was like most people stick with the number one overall pick, I resisted him because, um, his home run total, his high home run, like levels as an amateur, weren't all that helpful considering he was far above, uh, he was far, he was a guy whose rating was far above, what would be considered a high school-level pitcher. And lo and behold, since he's gotten to the major leagues, he's had a bit of a home run problem. Now, he's still been a better pitcher than I thought, but it's it's, a, it's something that you can't always see or can't always tell definitively because of that higher level of development. So I think in the abstract, I would lean more towards high school players, but I think that, that GB is right in the sense that that should be a relatively small part of the way you evaluate talent I think you need to look at the builds first and foremost and then look at ages and then look at things like that and not necessarily look at like where they've played
2: Yeah but I think we're relatively all on um, close to the same point of it matters a little bit but in the end what matters is where their their current skill set is and where your timeline is how much time do you think that that pitcher has to develop. Mm -hmm. But so then backtracking a little bit for you to at least, if you want to answer the uh, catcher question, I know that you're the one that drafted 20 or so. um, That's something. So if if you didn't hear it, the question was basically, um, you know, the catchers of the past 15, 20 years were really, really good. And then recently they're not as good. At least they're not coming up as good in the draft. And um, are we shifting back to those years where we did maybe we didn't have really good catches like we had in like the, the 20s and 30s? I I don't
0: I don't necessarily know how to answer that question uh, because in my mind um, I think I think what the the anonymous person asked that question is taking a couple of guys who are complete outliers relative to their position and saying that. Um, and saying that that is part of a larger trend, that catching has largely been better. I'm not so certain that that's actually true. Uh, I think that that if anything, Thorpe and, uh, Thorpe and Thomas stand out so much because they are such exceptions. I think if you actually look at the state of catching, um, outside of a couple star players, it hasn't been great, that a lot of people are getting by with like platoons of relatively mediocre players. And I think um, – if anything, the last couple of years, I think there was a draft. I think it was 2062 where the catching actually looked relatively good and was a much deeper uh, catching position than we'd seen in a long time. So I don't necessarily know that um, will we get another player like the Michael Thomas again at catcher anytime soon. Probably not, but uh, I don't think that that means that the catching position on the whole is better, is like better or worse for anyone other than maybe Florida.
3: Yeah. I mean, definitely. Yeah. Cause there's, there's, there's still
2: talent there. Like I've seen you what know, I just draft the guys pretty talented. I have Beiler. um you know, there, there's talent there, but then it's just kind of those things. I think it might really revolve around how much importance you put at that position. Where, and I do, I will say that I I kind of find it comical that some of the people that love speed, love speed, love speed, they also, for some reason, they don't put much emphasis into a strong arm catcher. And I think if you love speed, you should love a strong arm catcher because that's how you combat speed. Right. But, two are their I home, think- And,
3: uh, um, did you do anything else to
1: add there? I do. I think all of you guys. Arm on a catcher doesn't mean anything. Put out the dudes with the seventy arms. It's cool as long as they call a good game and they can hit a little bit. Throw them out there.
0: <laughs> this is the. This has been a self-serving message brought to you by GB. Just saying, ignore- that's a pointer. <laughs> Just <to> say. <laughs> it's a pointer. <laughs> Ign- ignore <laughs> the fact that ignore the fact that my team has like speed all over the outfield. Just. Just send those guys out there that are going to throw out ten percent of runners. Come on, what could
1: go wrong? Good teammates, man. They're good teammates. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna,
0: we'll, we'll do a we'll do a controlled study over the next ten seasons to find out if having a worse arm at catcher makes you a better teammate. We
3: definitely should. We should do that.
0: But yeah. I will say there are a
2: few people that I noticed that if I have them in a playoff series. I think I could destroy them based off of their catching position.
0: It's it's but, really interesting to think about. I tend to I tend to view things more holistically in terms of matchups. Like I, I don't know if I go into it like that far. I wouldn't like throw an extra speed guy into the lineup if I noticed I was facing a weak catcher. But maybe I should. Uh, maybe I should just have more speed generally. My team's one of the slower ones.
2: Definitely because I mean, I'm saying this and I don't have a really overall fast team or many players on minors who are extremely fast. But it's just something I've noticed where they don't have a really good catcher and they and some of the things that they do with their team is makes it easier to steal bases on them. So I I, I think that's something where I would say, hmm, if you would shore that up, it would be even better and you would but so um and I guess move on to that with that first question. Backtracking once again, what is your thoughts on relocation in
3: the
0: league? G. Um, okay, I think I know part of the reason this question is coming up. I don't know who wrote it, uh, but I know that part of the discussion came around between Oakland moving to San Jose, and now with uh, I guess the Tampa GM PR wants to consider moving. I'm not opposed to relocation in, in relocation. Um, in theory, I think it needs to be really well thought out. I think it needs to be well tested before we allow a team to move somewhere, because I think those sorts of decisions affect more than just you. This isn't, this isn't like I'm much more. Uh, I'm see when for example when like I know that to say this to someone from Ohio and Ohio like you Maddie. Like I'm not opposed to what someone like Art Modell did because he's taking a team that he owns and moving it to a place to maximize the value of something he owns. As horrible as it is to defend moving the Browns, but uh, in this case, you don't have the same attachment to your team that a billionaire does when they're investing in something. So I think it needs to be shown that it's not only good for potentially good for your team, but good for the league before we allow something. Uh, I I would say that uh, moving. Oakland to San Jose, I don't know what effect that's going to have. I'm not familiar with San Jose as a market in Mogul, so we'll see. Uh, I know the czars thought it out, so I guess it might have, like, a mildly beneficial effect. Um, For example, the other thing that was talked about, like moving Tampa to Mexico City, I can tell you as someone who's tried to play as Mexico City in Mogul games before, it is an absolute fucking disaster, and I wouldn't recommend even thinking about it. Uh, It's Devastating to your pitching staff. It's like it's it's like Colorado on steroids. Moving a team up there, not to mention the fact that your really really low per capita income keeps you from walking into that really high population uh, in Mexico City to actually make them an effective uh, market. You actually be worse off than you would be in a place like Tampa Bay. So I think you need to. Um, I think for the most part. I would Montreal. I don't think it makes any temp, any sense for teams to move. Uh Montreal, like, maybe, but I don't as, as cool as it would be to have the expos, I don't think uh any team in the league right now would benefit from moving to that market. I don't think that market's better than the one you have than the one anyone has right now. I don't care
1: about the market.
0: I just want the expos back.
1: <laughs> well That's that's all I care about. I well, will take that as need to.
3: Well,
2: I thank you, G, for the rant there on Mexico City. But that was just a random idea that I just threw out just for the hell it, just as an example. But I think you have squashed. Anyone who would ever have that idea to move to Mexico City, I do know that it does have a very high homeless. I think if once you first move with us, like something like like two or two or something. I yeah, I a, I've in a different league. It's stupid, and two or two means. You are doubling up the uh, the homers, so you know essentially you know because you got to kind of have them for for the on the road too. So if you have a fifty homer guy, and even if you play at average parks on the road, that's gonna then jump it up to seventy five homers for the season. Tonight. It's ridiculous. So yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, not really but that was just a random example that I could I just threw out there. Right um, and
0: yeah, it's because like Mexico City is so much higher in elevation than even Denver. So Denver's about five thousand feet above sea level. When Mexico City is about I don't know seventy five hundred, eight thousand, like it's 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 absolutely nuts. There's a reason why um, I know bringing up soccer is is there
3: is, is strange, ooh. but
0: but there's a reason why like Mexico City has lost in their own stadium like only like a handful of times in 50 years because not people like other teams that are just not trained to play at that level of elevation. And it's a potentially, it's, it seems like a huge advantage on paper, but for something like baseball, there's no way you can build a pitching staff if you're doubling your home runs that limits you to only like a handful of guys in the entire week that you could put there and that's too restrictive to really be effective in a way that Colorado isn't nearly as restrictive.
2: Right. So I think the last two things that you really missed were the thoughts on the FCM Twitter and then the Hall of Fame talk. Is there anything you want to add about either of those before we sign off?
0: I love the Twitter. I think it adds something nice to the league. I also think it's a good way to get out information So, uh, like, we can make sure that, like, for example, on the Twitter, we were talking about the 7 p.m. draft time, although some people still missed it. um, It's a good way to get that information out. gives you sort of a nice timeline, something to go through. I think it adds good flavor to the league. In terms of the Hall of Fame, uh, we put the best candidate in of anyone on that ballot, but I don't think we made the right choice because there were other people that deserved to get in. Uh, for example, I don't think that like I'm very surprised by the people that think Madden is Hall of Fame worthy, but not a guy like Russell or or Marx. That just seems very strange to me. Uh it seems like you're drawing a very like you're you're really nitpicking to draw that line even when they're when they have very, very similar resumes. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I
2: what I felt about it. Um like I said you know, Marks. I I don't think we have a player that has as many wins as Marks has that's not in the Hall of Fame. So that was really one of those curious things. Especially when I'm gonna guess some of the people who voted who voted Marks out um, actually voted in like Trembath and some of the other guys
0: that have a high year. It's kind
3: of comical, really. Yeah. But
0: uh, uh, I think the only guy who might have that many wins is out was the guy who pitched for you and the Cubs, that I'm forgetting the name of.
2: The, um, the Cubs, what you say, you're talking like um, Drake and Hank Eldred?
0: Not Drake. Um, I'm thinking, oh, oh, you mean on those guys? Like, I voted Eldred in. I, I think yeah. I voted Drake in, but I'm not entirely positive. I think those guys are both borderline. Like, Drake will be the lowest-end closer in the Hall of Fame, and Hank Eldred will probably be, due to the fact that he doesn't have, like, great counting stats, one of the lowest-end catchers to get in. But the the, the, the I think we said on the pod, I said on the podcast with Andy when we were talking about this, uh, you need to draw the bottom somewhere. And I think those guys, if they're your worst, like, players in that position in the Hall of Fame, then you're still keeping fairly high standards.
2: Right, because, I mean, I think we have, three catchers in the Hall of Fame right now, so to add a fort and say he's going to be the bottom, that's not the worst thing in the world.
0: Right, and it's still a guy who's hit, you know, in the case of Eldred, it's a guy who's like a 315 career hitter. Um, in real baseball, there is absolutely no way a guy that ended up with his career average and played as many seasons as he did at catcher would not be in the Hall of Fame. That guy would be a shoe in short of performance-enhancing drugs. So, like, take a look at the catchers in the actual MLB Hall of Fame. Uh, You are not going to be blown away by the numbers, is the way I'll put it. And a guy like Eldred would be probably in the middle of the higher end of catchers that have gotten in.
2: Right. So, I know we've kind of kept GB quiet here for a while, but is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd want to say, anything that you just want to blurt out that might make everyone feel
1: uncomfortable for a minute, or just –
2: Anything actually related to SDM Mobile?
1: I have one thing that I'm going to hang up. Um, happy birthday, Andy. And please give me some jumps tonight. That is it. That's all I got. Tell okay. Goodbye.
3: <laughs>
1: I had not...
0: Re- Andy, uh, happy birthday. Congrats on turning 35. Um... Good job running the league, I guess. Uh, good job keeping Pedro's hegemony in check. Uh, and that's all I got.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's your 36th. That's pretty cool. Um, all of your draft picks last night, they actually sucked.
3: You're oh, yeah, that's thing. true. I want to
2: bring down your your, uh, your your day if they have a horrible birthday. If you're listening to this tomorrow because you're hungover, well, this will hurt even more. It's going more of a headache. You suck, you suck, you suck. But, no, actually, honestly, um, yeah, you do a great job running the draft. I told you before that I ran drafts before, and I could not run it as quickly and efficiently as as you do. Definitely a big thanks to you because you park at people, and I even park up people to check their, their draft picks. And I look. I thought I had all my draft picks in check, and I thought everything was right. And then there's a little bit of a mix-up. But, of course, like Andy always is, he – fixes it when you need to, and goes without a hitch, pretty much. And, um, yeah, you you won a great league. This is the best league out there, the best league ever. I'll even say, yeah, it's better at this point. It's gotten better than PSBL was to me. They're totally two different types of leagues, but, I mean, this has gotten into the Warriors' 56th season, and we've been running for over six years real time, so
3: this is awesome, and have a good one. Yep. All right, so
2: I think that pretty much wraps it up for the draft pod. We pretty much get you right at about 90 minutes of uh, talk. A lot of it is probably either myself or Gene Money going on a soapbox rants. Yep. And just with a quick 10-second blurb from DB, but hey, at least DB finally got on for a podcast. That's pretty cool. Good and, for him. And uh, not sure when the next time we'll be able to do this because I know Andy's schedule is busy. And I think your schedule's going to be getting busy pretty soon
3: too. And I and know. I'm mo- I'm and going.
0: I have to move back to Texas very soon, so we'll see how that goes with my schedule. With me actually having to work again.
3: Right.
2: So, um, whenever we can do this again, I'm sure we'll try and do it because it's a good time to talk about this stuff. The draft pod is always the most um, widely sought out one, So, at least yep. I think we'll try and do this at least every other year. We can't do it every year, something like that.
0: I'm but, really tempted to do a live Sim 13 podcast this year, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I'd be able to handle that. But we'll we'll, we'll throw that out there as a teaser for the people.
2: There might be a lot of cursing if you have a really tight race and you lose the game.
0: <laughs> there will be plenty of. There's usually cursing anyway, so we're good with that.
2: Well, I know, but it, but everyone would know that you did it, and you would probably be calling whoever beat you some really nasty names, and it would get maybe the cops would be called for it and all that stuff. So
0: we can only hope. Yeah, we can't only
2: hope. But it's been fun. It's been real. Um, thanks for starting this up for us and taking it over. You know, it's on my uh, page, and we were trying to get this uploaded to Gene Williams' page.
3: Yep, yeah. we'll do it. Yeah. We'll see you again. Okay.
1: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family